Another lesson? Yeah. What this time? Beauty. In the dark. I must be working. You're beginning to talk just like a Volon. Whose side are you on? We are on the side of the truth. Is there another? You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are a group of newbies who are watching the show for the very first time as well as a bunch of folks who have watched the show far too many times we are here today to talk about season two's episode there all the honor lies and if you're wondering if you're a 2b watcher why aren't we watching and now for a word it's because Tubi doesn't know how to do orders correctly. So we'll do that one next week. Sorry. I am Scott, and with me is... Blake. Jesse. John. Emily. Kevin. Andrew. And Mike. Jesse sounds like she's going to die halfway through this show. (laughs) Probably (laughs) am. So before we get started, just a reminder to check out all the links that are down below. We have our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, our Patreon. If you want to help support the uh, growth of the show, we have our producers listed who are members of our Patreon Gray Council. Thank you to our producers for continuing to support us. And then if you're watching this on YouTube, we have the link to the audio podcast. And if you're listening to this, we have the link to our YouTube as well. One thing I wanted to bring up is we just hit 900 members on our Facebook page. And one of the newest members uh, sent us a little message on that post. And that was uh, from uh, Prima. And she says, long time B5 fan from New Zealand. I grew up without a TV in the house. So relied on my best friend to introduce me to shows and her family were massive fans. I decided to start rewatching for the gazillionth time, probably watched through every few years along with a different podcast, but then discovered this one and jump ship. I really love hearing the newbies perspectives as well as all the cool background in the first ones provides. Plus as a woman, it's nice to listen to something super geeky that has other women involved. So thank you, Jesse and Emily and Nicole for stealing somebody from another podcast. We appreciate it. Good job. It's true. Let's go ahead and dive into the episode this week. And Andrew, I believe you have a synopsis for us. I do. Despite Sheridan and Ivanova's objections, Babylon 5 gets a merch store. Sheridan's job is in jeopardy when he accidentally kills a Minbari in self-defense. And with Londo falling further into the Centauri Republic's good graces, Veer could be getting replaced as his attache. Merchandising, merchandising. Merchandising. How the real money is We have links for that down below, don't we? Yes, we do have merchandise ourselves. It's not as cool looking as the merchandise. The coffee mug. Gray 17, the cow- shower curtain. <laughs> Gray, 17. Gray 17, the flamethrower. We don't have that yet, although I would like that, and I would be the first one to buy it. So let's go ahead and get into first impressions, and let's go with Jesse first. First impressions on the episode. 
Um, I enjoyed this episode. I'm finding myself enjoying the episodes more and more. And this one was, it was fun, fine, fine, fun, <laughs> fun, fine, fun, um, <laughs> fun, fun. Um, it was, it was good. It was, yeah, that's my opinion. Good talk. Moving Thanks. on. <laughs> good job. John, first impressions. Um, I also enjoy this episode. Have a little more to say than Jesse, which is not surprising. <laughs> um, so this is what is like kind of great about this show and in good television in general is an A or B plot didn't take away. It all was cohesive. There was a lot of character development across the board. So I really enjoyed getting to interact and, and the time and the pacing that was very well done with each. You know, thinking of you know, who won this episode, who was the focal point of this episode is hard because you got such strong performances from Lanier, from Veer, even a little Londo fun back that reminded me of why I enjoy the character so much. You know, we got to see everybody. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed the episode. We got to learn some stuff. Definitely have a lot of questions from it, but this is one of the episodes that gets me excited for next week's episode and, and um, uh, you know, does a couple of things. Gives me some of the stuff I like, gives me a little bit of humor, gives me a lot of bit of the plot, and then makes me want to come back next week. So um, I really enjoyed this episode. Emily, first impressions. I liked it. I actually like the storyline with Lanier. Uh, since usually he's kind of portrayed as, you know, plot, like shy, a little bit shy, quiet, not really involved. And then he comes out like a stealth badass. <laughs> like lurking around and tracking people. <laughs> so I really like that. Boss got the Vulcan nerve pinch. Lanier's got the crossed arms of death or whatever you want to call it. You yeah, know, chop. Hey, yeah. Andrew, first impressions. I didn't hate it. <laughs> Here it comes. Uh, I was not a fan of the, the Babylon 5 merch store subplot. And uh, I physically cringed during every scene with that store. Uh, Although the Londo scene with uh, when, when he's complaining about the fact that his doll is anatomically correct, I thought that was really funny. But then the, I guess you could call it the A plot with Sheridan's accidental killing. To me, uh, like that was a like a good kind of insight into how the Minbari sort of view Sheridan as a whole. Let's go over to our first ones and go to Mike. First impressions. Mike, I think you finished this episode about 30 seconds ago, so I'm hopeful for a good first impression. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I actually like this episode. Uh, it's got a little bit of mystery. It's got a little bit of world building. Um, I do have a bit of an issue that you guys have been saying that Sheridan accidentally killed that guy. I think Sheridan kind of deliberately killed that guy, but in self-defense. But yeah, I mean, overall, it's just a, a pretty solid episode. This is an instance where I will admit that when they came out of the gate with that Babylon 5 merch store, I also kind of cringed. But as it progressed, besides being a little over the top with humor, I thought um, it, it actually fit well. And it did add some some character building and some kind of cute moments and some funny stuff. So I, it didn't take away from the rest of the show. It wasn't an overwhelming portion of it. So um, and of course, the stuff with uh, Veer and Londo was was great. And I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot more. So yeah, overall, it's a, it's a solid episode. Kevin. I agree. It's a solid episode. I, I actually kind of like the, the, um, the humor built in for the, the merch store as, you know, otherwise kind of a heavy episode. Uh, the thought of, you know, Veer leaving the, the station, the thought of Sheridan being disgraced and possibly put on trial, etc. heavier episode. So I think it needed a little bit of, uh, uh, humor, whether it needed quite that much or not, I suppose 
we could debate but overall i like the episode it's good to see julie caitlin brown again uh it made me remember how much i like her acting and how much i kind of miss her as natoth but we don't see natoth very much anyhow it makes me wonder if we would have seen her more if she had stayed on the show but she's uh she was a in-demand actress at the time so it's unfortunate so kevin just dropped that little zinger did anyone recognize that old natoth was with us this episode aside from anyone who read the credits oh. our newbies are like nope not 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 at all you was didn't she tell the lawyer yes yeah, she was she the her. lawyer yeah oh okay so we we lost her well, i don't know what she looks like out of makeup well now you do i might have a bit of a crush i'm just saying kevin's got a type mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we lost we, we kind of talked about this when they did the change over the actor uh for season two but we lost her as natoth for one major reason and that is she couldn't wear the damn contacts those red contacts were painful for her and she just had got to a point where she could not do it anymore and i think you're noticing that current natoth isn't around much and that's because that actor didn't really do very well as Natoth. So we'll see what happens with Natoth as we move forward. Go to Blake. First impressions. I also like this episode. I think it's a solid one. I actually like the humor in it. And I will say this probably has one of my favorite lines in the franchise in it. And, you know, it's when Sheridan and Ivanova are in the office and it's, you know, this isn't some kind of deep space franchise. This place is about something. I mean, let's talk about JMF being a dick for a minute. He damn well knew what he was doing with that line. I was wondering if that was a reference or not. According to him, it wasn't him who wrote it. He said it, it was David not him it. who wrote it, but he made the call to leave it in. Oh, absolutely. He because, did. He because does. Peter David was like, are you really going to use that? And JMS was like, oh, absolutely. That's <laughs> yeah, in. I mean, he has absolutely said, and we, I'm sure I'm going to get yelled at on the comments again, but this is not the time to talk about D Space Nine and Babylon 5, I promise. But he, he flat out said he wanted to sue the crap out of Paramount. Uh, about a year before this episode was made. So this is a way of him just kind of doing a little dig because Warner Brothers wouldn't let him sue. You guys have hit on most of what I want to hit on. A couple things I did want to talk about that you all haven't yet is this is the last Peter David script. And this is the second to last time. And I've been hinting at this for a while. This is the second to last time that we're going to have a non-JMS script all the way until season five. We've got one more coming up with Larry Dottilio. Uh, and that's going to be a few episodes from now. But JMS at this point is basically killing himself night after night in front of his typewriter, getting these episodes going as he starts writing the entire series. He will write all but one more episode of season two. He will write all of season three. He will write all of season four. And he will write all of season five, but one episode. So if you like JMS's writing, buckle up because that's all you're going to get after one more episode. The other thing I wanted to hit on is the the directing in this episode is really really good. We show, we get to see a lot more of the uh the sets we have a walk and talk that is great and actually kind of meanders through and even when they're going down the hallway we have other extras popping in out just to make the 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 station feel more alive and the director of this is mike vehar and mike vehar directs a lot of babylon 5. if you're ever watching a babylon 5 episode and you're thinking well the direction's really good in this episode chances are it's mike vehar he is absolutely the one of the best, if not the best directors that B5 has throughout this run. Uh, when you see a Mike Vehar directed episode, you, you know you're going to be in for a little bit more than what you're used to 
just because he he brings it every time. Yeah, he directed a lot of episodes of quite a few shows that I like, and usually he's absolutely spot on with with the uh, with his episodes, and this one is no exception. Yeah, because he did quite. If I'm not mistaken, he did several episodes of Enterprise. I think he did mm-hmm. some Deep Space Nine also. Driver, yeah, I mean, but also thinking like Dead Zone, which is another show that I was a fan of. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. He's been all over the place with some of the mm-hmm. stuff he's directed, and, and Scott's right too. You can usually tell the episodes he did because the direction in him is usually pretty good. They just look. They feel more cinematic. Like they even do. like yeah. There's a, there's the scene where Sheridan is being confronted about what he did, and it's like a handheld cam. How often do you see in an early 90s TV show a handheld? It's just stuff like that where Vehar is just, he's playing a lot around with stuff and it's really nice. So let's get into the episode, guys. John, what do you got? I do want to talk about a lot of stuff I liked, but I forgot to mention in my first impression, there were there were two areas that I disliked that I wanted to, to just address real quick. The first is, so the Ivanova and the merchandising plot, the merchandising I actually liked, that was pretty funny. Um, in fact, was wondering if I could buy that Londo doll. Um, but it just you seemed can. like, <laughs> all right, well, I might, um, but it just seemed like another instance and this happens or seems to be happening a lot in season two, where she kind of gets relegated to a, I don't know, go do something, but don't do something. And I'm just hopeful that eventually she'll get to play. Like I haven't seen her come into the a plot yet in a circle through. So I just, I'm disliking it. It seems like she's being sidelined a bit, but my biggest beef with this episode the thing i hated the most was the very end why this show continues to try to make me care about kefir and why they keep just jamming him in there so unbelievably awkwardly i hated all of it all of it they could have ended the episode right with the bear that was fine funny enough but everything after that just annoyed the shit out of me counterpoint about the the bear thing at the end what if because they point out that uh, it has his initials stitched on it which for a second I thought that was a Sinclair reference, but what if that is foreshadowing for a future plot point? So to to touch on the bear part, so the JS on it is Peter David and his wife actually sent that bear to JMS. Mm-hmm. And they sent him that bear with the Bearbalon 5 on it. And as JMS will be the first to admit, and if you read his Twitter, Twitter interactions, <laughs> the guy's not into cute and cuddly. That's just not JMS. So the whole end scene with the bear being thrown out the airlock was JMS basically saying, I will teach you to give me something cute. Yep. He shot the cute bear that gave him into space. <laughs> Even though I just said that this is a Peter David script, JMS absolutely wrote that last scene. He had other influences on, on the plot in this one too, but that's a that's a small one. I just assumed that that they were mad that they went with Bear Balon 5 instead of John Barrett. So I just... Uh realized that did jms name the main characters like so that they would have his own initials he has a quote on that and he says sometimes i sign my work (laughs) Uh, so i don't have to wait until questions but is kevin going to be anything other than just an annoying like 15 second guy is he eventually going to get a real plot are we going to know anything about this guy or is he just going to keep popping up like this guess you'll have to wait to find out right (laughs) we'll answer that beyond the rim (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. I mean, yeah, let me go ahead and lay out all the character development for all the characters from now until the end of the show. Enjoy. No, I'm not doing that. Well, I mean, you don't have to give me the story, but I mean, I, am, am I the only one who's just finding this super awkward? Like it, he never seems to be a part of the plot. He never seems to be integral to anything. He just kind of shows up to just be like, hey, I'm on this show this season. What's up? And then that's it. Yep, You are not wrong. 
I don't find it quite as annoying as you do, I think, but it's but it's definitely a thing. I'll go ahead and spoil it. Keffer is the lead character of season six. <laughs> he's in the credits. I mean, you know he's gotta do something, but and every time somebody goes out to fly, it's not him and they die. So, you know, at some point he's coming back. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. If you're a pilot not named Keffer or Sheridan or Sinclair, you're going to die. It's usually how it goes. It's true. They don't have a great track record so far, do they? Nope. Anybody? What was with the weird the weird singing? The the Gregorian the, chant? Yeah. The it wasn't weird, it was beautiful, but it was weird in that hey, episode. And does, has anyone else seen community? And do you remember the episodes where they build a giant blanket fort? Because mm-hmm. that is what that scene reminded me of. <laughs> I don't know why JMS had to point this out because I don't, when I look at the Usenet stuff, I usually don't see the questions that are asked first. But somebody asked JMS, was any of that CGI? Maybe because they're moving slowly forward and stuff. And he says, no, it was all practical. I'm not sure why that mattered, but it was all practical. I will say, if you'd like, I know the translation for the Gregorian chant. You can read into it and put your tinfoil hat on if you'd like, but it is. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And whose shoulder is the world's dominion rests, whose name is, he who was sent to us from the great heavenly wonder counselor, sing unto the Lord a new song, he has made wonders. And it includes Isaiah 9-6 and Psalm 98-1. Well, there you go. It's confirmation that Kefir is the... He's Jesus. Yeah, in this whole the thing. child He was sent to them. I'm going to I'm gonna add to the tinfoil hat here because that's the first verse. Yes. The second part, which comes, which I believe it's the Psalm 98 one part is, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. I was going to skip that part, but he is space Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, John. There's your answer. Pepper is space Jesus, John. Right. I saw where Boxleitner was uh, complaining about having to crawl around uh, doing that. Because he's like, look, I'm 6'3", and I'm not young, so don't make me do that again. And it made me wonder how uh, how some of the uh, the Star Trek actors uh, crawling around in the Jeffries tubes over the years felt about it, because I'm going to guess they probably had a similar reaction, especially Frakes, who is a quite a tall gentleman. He's a beast of a man, let's be yeah. honest here. John? Could you say that in a less erotic way? No. <laughs> Frakes turns me on. What do you want? He's an absolute beast. Have you ever watched the Riker maneuver and not gotten excited? I mean, come on. And if those Scott, who... are you wanting to get Riker maneuvered? I mean, <laughs> no, 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 I, don't be, I don't want to be a chair and be straddled. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, John. <laughs> uh, so because we love talking politics and stirring shit up, start to continue this episode. Really, it's just to ask: Did anyone else? So at the beginning, after the shooting, when Garibaldi and Sheridan were talking to Delenn, did anyone listen to that conversation in a very 2023 light with police shootings and some of the stuff they were talking about? Yeah, I see I mean, nodding heads, but as this is, is an audio, is an audio yes. podcast. Yes, <laughs> I mean we, and this is like not the first time we've had a conversation about this, and several episodes i mean uh i think john you were the one who joked when uh zach gallon shot the the narn he was resisting Mm -hmm. sure he was well and peter david originally conceived this as garibaldi shooting them in bari and it was actually jms who said well i think it'd probably be better if it was sheridan given his history with the minbari so at that point it got changed you know listening to it i was obviously like oh that's that's 2023 something but you know, obviously in the 90s, 
Although, you know, I don't know what Rodney King was in the nineties. Police brutality is not exactly a new thing, but anyways, but on that, on that subject, or at least that storyline, I, you know, I don't remember them saying the Minbari never lie previously. And right when I heard it, I was just like, how could you possibly prove that as a species? When they talk about like, oh, if you question it, I mean, that's, you know, prepare for death because here it comes. Like, you know, it just begins to, to me more, you know, showing just this arrogance that the Minbari have that maybe I've either not been looking for or just hasn't been as apparent. But shit like this makes it seem like, you know, you know, maybe they can back it up. But just the, again, arrogance is the only word I can describe it to just say like, we never lie. And you just have forced people to take you at your word. And then clearly in this episode, they go, oh no, by the way, we fucking lie. It's just when it's convenient for us. So, you know, and if you have a problem with that, you know, here comes our ships, gun ports open, do something, say something. So, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you that the Mimbari are stuck up. I'm not going to argue that point at all. Jesse, what do you got? So to John's point about, um, about the looking at it through the lens of a police shooting. So, because I can't help, help it. I did that the entire episode. And, you know, you talk about when you're trying to decide whether um, a shooting is justified, one of the things that they look at is another, um, would, a, would another officer, another officer ha- with the same training had the reasonable conclude, like, would they have thought the same thing, right? And watching the scene, if he heard death first, and the forward motion towards him was could have been taken as aggression or um, an attack. Whether the, he heard death first or he heard death far or whatever it was, you know, what he heard, would another officer have heard the same thing? So and taken his forward motion as aggression, I mean, I, it probably would have been justified. Well, yeah. I mean, at least they had the the key scene you know, later with his conversation with Ivanova, where, you know, he questions himself. He goes, well, did I do it? Maybe I did do it. Maybe I'm misremembering. You know, he, yeah. he had such certainty at the beginning when he was telling everybody, no, he's a liar. That Minbari is going to back me up, which was surprising. Why would he ever think that that Minbari who just watched him shoot another Minbari was going to have his back? It's shocking. But well, because they don't lie, John. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Um, Sheridan's really naive, which we learned in this episode a lot. Well, the fact that he just found the gun just laying around when we the very first episode has clearly told us there are no firearms or guns on the station so we have seen how many episodes that i have mentioned over and over again for a (laughs) gun-free zone there's a lot of fucking guns on babylon 5 (laughs) (laughs) every episode there seems to be more and more but there aren't any john so the fact that there was just a random one laying around was not weird at all no, it reminds me of Chicago a lot. And he just walked wow. by like, oh, look, there's a gun. Hey, so I'm not surprised that he as laying there was like, of course, there's a gun on this ship. They're all over the place. Now, let me use this gat. Every time you bring this up, I always want to go back, back and watch the movie Maverick just for that scene. Everyone's got a gun. <laughs> yeah, but John, you, you bring up a good point. That's one of my favorite scenes in the episode is the scene between Ivanova and, and Sheridan. She definitely got a little something to do in that scene, but it, it her her line about just you saying that makes me think that you know make uh, makes me respect you or something something like that um it was pretty clear that he was you know tr- a, a bit traumatized by the event which wasn't you know super evident at every moment but the fact that he certainly regretted having to shoot him and the fact that he was questioning himself was what good people do when bad things happen typically in my experience. 
Uh, and Dylan backs that up when she's talking to Lanier. She's like, look, I've studied his file. This is so out of character for him. It just doesn't line up. Um, so I, which I, I guess I agreed with, although um, I wasn't necessarily going to bring it up now, but you know, when they mentioned how Sheridan was able to become Starkiller, right? That was his nickname, Starkiller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm guessing that guy was telling the truth and that that is what Sheridan did. Again, it would be in the questions, but they like. Mentioned you know, it before, I think, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. In, in detail, what happened was his ship was attacked by a Mimbari cruiser. They were disabled to a point where they were going to get destroyed because Mimbari don't take prisoners during the war. And uh, he laid a mine in an asteroid field and called a distress call. And the distress call was, hey, somebody else come and help us because we're not able to defend ourselves. So the Mimbari cruiser came in to take them out and hit the mine and blow it up. And it's the only kill registered for the Earth in that war again there's a you have a lot of leeway in war right so it's not exactly like you know we're gentlemen on the battlefield take your 10 paces turn and shoot but that move boy can really be seen one of two ways right it can be canny if you're on the earth side and that's a way to get them but it's pretty devious and underhanded and not quite as respectable as an actual fight that you win on the other hand. So it's well, not surprising that the Membari would be super duper butthurt about that action well, and how it came about. They're getting their butts kicked. They were in trouble and you're going to win. However you got to, to get the job done and get out of the situation. And you know, I mean, I'm not saying again, I, I'm not saying I disagree with it necessarily, sure. yeah. but I do think that perhaps it sheds a different light on Sheridan. Does it? Because conversely, they broadcast a signal that says we are completely defenseless and the Mimbari are pissed that they went right. in to murder a bunch of defenseless people and right. got blown the fuck up yeah. for it. Because again, right. it's been made very clear several times, Mimbari do not take prisoners. They were going to wipe out the species. So regardless, either you're going home or they're going home. Somebody's not going home. Jesse, what do you got? Um, did you hear, so the conversation almost directly after the shooting where Sheridan's talking to Garibaldi and Garibaldi, I, I can't remember which one of them said, didn't you find it odd that there was just a gun laying around and somebody yeah. said, oh, you really are suspicious, right? Like that was basically him asking, like, where's your tinfoil hat? And I yeah, giggled when I saw it because I was like thinking about our podcast where we're constantly like getting the red string out. Yeah, that was Garibaldi. And I was also thinking how many times John has pointed out that Garibaldi may not be the best detective. It's like, oh, Garibaldi's always suspicious. Is he? Is he and that's really? not suspicious. That wasn't suspicious. Like the, everything that they said, they're like, oh, you really are like, you know, don't trust anyone. There was a whole firearm and somebody ran into me and stole my my communication device. And then or and then I ran into them and they attacked me. That none of that was suspicious. Not the fact that the gun was there wasn't suspicious. The fact that the whole thing happened, it was just odd. Mm -hmm. Well, this is, I mean, Garibaldi, you know, to your point, is he a good detective or is he just know the obvious? Because I thought it was way more of Sheridan just being, I guess we'll use naive since Scott said it and not being a dumb fuck, but everything that happened, he was just like, Oh, okay, I guess, you know, like, Oh, I ran into a guy. Oh shit. My comms are gone. Came around the corner. Oh shit. This guy came at me. Oh, I found a gun laying down. Oh, not like all of it's just like, boy, what a coincidence. What a, what a day. You know what I mean? Mondays. Am I right? <laughs> talks about being into so many conspiracy theories, like to get played like that. I was like, really dude. Right. Really? 
Well, and yeah. to Kevin's point, like it makes sense that buff and like you just got. Well, yeah, to Kevin's point, it makes sense that this is a uh, copy and paste Sheridan for Garibaldi too, because if you start out the script with Garibaldi, um, well, we can still be saying, well, Garibaldi should have known better, but with Sheridan, it's kind of odd. You're right that he's definitely, to Jesse's point, a tinfoil hat wearer or at least collector of, and we run into this problem. So it's interesting. <laughs> I don't think it ruins the show or the episode, but it definitely is, you know, something like, eh, could our yeah. character have oh, done Oh, wouldn't Gar- Garibaldi have already been armed, though? So it probably wouldn't have, he wouldn't have needed to find one, I wouldn't imagine. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure they would had a different dialogue point at that point, yeah. Probably. Because they said in the episode that they thought that he grabbed for his firearm, right, or his weapon. Yeah. And then Dylan said there was no weapon on him, and that was the whole conversation about well, if you wait until you find out, you know, yeah. and then you're already. Yeah, it's, it's, it's clearly self-defense, but. I would have been interested to see how that played out if the guy had never admitted to what he actually saw. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if they would have convicted him or not. Well, and I, I, I saw somewhere where uh, Bill Mooney said that he wasn't a big fan of the ending. He thought it was it was too easy to wrap up in a, in a little bow for one episode. Uh, a little too convenient, but I didn't have a problem with it. I I thought that it was it was some good character development, like everyone's mentioned for the end of it, both for for Sheridan and for Delon and Lanier. I thought sure. uh, the ending worked out well. Yeah, and part of it is you know they they escalated it so high up there where like if you go to tr- trial you're going to lose your command right. to where they, they gotta de-escalate so i yeah could they have drug it out a little bit more i mean knowing what comes next i think they are good just to mm-hmm. let this stuff roll but yeah i mean they could have drug it out more and had a different storyline for a bit well, those investigations take i mean how long do they in real in real life how long do they take like it, this isn't just a simple episode and we're done like yeah people go yeah. on administrative leave for six to you know 12 months before and they I, make a call and i can't believe it's not natath is right i mean if this happens and he has to uh go on administrative leave he will not come back right because they'll replace him and right. we we m- many of us are in you know or have worked in public agencies you've seen it happen people go mm-hmm. on administrative leave and never return they yeah, find their way somewhere else. Yep. <laughs> the infamous Friday afternoon email that says someone has left to pursue other opportunities that mm-hmm. means <laughs> they were told to get the fuck out and we'll clean their desk out for them later. Yeah. The HR locks will have be been changed. Tomorrow. Right. <laughs> the code to the door has been changed and uh, we'll see them when we see them. Meet the bus, reference to Catholic the Church bus. here. and for folks who are fans of the catholic church you can send your hate mail to our email listed below or tag us on twitter at mike on twitter (laughs) good luck with that (laughs) john you've had your hand up for a while what would you like to say john I got plenty to say about the Catholic Church, but I guess we'll save that for a bonus set. Um, <laughs> Patreon only. Let's talk the Catholic Church. Oh, God. I, wanted, uh, I wanted to talk about the decision. So I think the decision to make it Sheridan instead of Garibaldi really worked out for um, this reason. The way they were able to tie his and Delenn's stories together and uh, let their relationship grow when they have that conversation in the garden, you know, she could be talking about him. She'd be talking about her. Right. So being alone in a crowd, I mean, how many times now, and this is a good example, has Earth Force already kind of left Sheridan out to dry, right? He's got his tinfoil hat homies, 
they didn't really show up this episode. Delana, again, we continue to see the Mimbari are just really shitting all over her every chance they get, except for Lanier, who might be the most ride or die dude I've ever seen on screen. But so I thought this was a really good way to allow their relationship to develop, you know, that, that comrade in, uh, in arms. So um, I thought it was great. It made me feel bad for Delenn again, made me love Lanier a little bit more, but I thought it was a very convenient way to, to merge those things. Yeah. And to the point that was made uh, a bit earlier, I, I am also curious how Delenn would have handled this if the guy didn't come clean at the end would she have put it under the rug and hit it or would she had done her job as the ambassador and continue to push for conviction it'd be interesting to see how she handles that because um yeah it'd be interesting we know delenn can break the rules we've seen her do it before but would she so you know for all the episodes we've had where londo continues to go down the shitty person rabbit hole this is why i like londo he's funny he gets to complain about the dom not having dicks thought that was great he gets to show his budding relationship with veer that's gone from let me just yell at you because you're incompetent to i generally care about you and i generally value our friendship and, um, you know, I know you may push back like, well, if you cared about him, why'd you make him called Morden? That's a separate subject. But, you know, he helps him out. He 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 also does what Veer asks, which is get let's Veer make the choice. So he doesn't say, nope, I got you to say so you say what he says is I'm just going to tie my my ship to you. So whatever you want to do, if you want to bounce, we'll bounce. And jokingly says he'll kill him if he makes that choice. But clearly Veer wants to stay. But I thought it was nice to give me a little boost in my confidence that Lando still is a good guy and will redeem himself. This episodes like this are why I get to keep living in that delusional mind space. Emily. I actually kind of like the storyline um, because I know we have, there's been quite a bit of discussion about Veer and being complicit because he relays messages to Morden for Lando. Um, and for me, at least it was nice to see how he was actually struggling with being in the middle like that because he's doing things he doesn't want to do because he feels obligated. And um, knowing why he actually ended up on Babylon 5 in the position he was in, because his family was basically like, you're a joke. We're just going to send you off there because Londo doesn't matter. You don't matter. You guys can basically just go do whatever on B5 because no one gives a shit. <laughs> um, which And that made me sad. I felt bad for Veer. <laughs> like that his family was so harsh on him. Kevin. I think this episode more than others makes it clear that Londo sees some of himself in Veer. I think he's said it before, but this one really shows it, I think, because Lino doesn't have this job because it was a it was a wonderful uh, career opportunity to begin with. But he he definitely sees himself in Veer. And I thought Stephen first uh, acting in this episode was particularly good. Um, you know, it's it it isn't easy to to play drunk on um, on screen. And I, I saw somewhere where first was talking about how he tried to play it like he wasn't drunk, because if you play it like you're drunk, you're going to seem like you're just uh, acting and badly. And I, I really saw what he what he meant by that in this episode. Mike, uh, Emily kind of nailed it with uh, the point about actually seeing from Veer's perspective that 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 he feels the impact of his involvement because I feel like we've seen him be disapproving before, but we've not really seen any mental toll that it takes on him. You know, I guess I was going to point out, I can't help but think like before Encanto made it cool to talk about familial pressure, uh, Babylon five did it a couple decades ago, apparently. John. 
Yeah, there were a couple of lines from their conversations that, that stood out, two specifically that stood out. You know, one from Londo when he said he can't change the past, but he can the present. I wrote down immediately, please just keep saying that to yourself because the next time you want to call Morden, just remember what you just told Veer and please don't do it. The second was something that Veer said though. Um, so Veer had mentioned being caught between a fire and flood. So we've heard about the fire, but I was unsure about what is the flood. Now, maybe it was just a throwaway line and it was just whatever, but generally the show doesn't have a lot of throwaway lines. So if you mention something, it seems important. Maybe it's not, but you know, we've seen fire, we've seen the sun, we've seen that, that reference. Be interested if there's anything with the flood. Well, if you played Halo, you know, the flood is, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I gotta say, I know Scott, that fear is like one of, if not your favorite character in Babylon five. And up until this point, you know, we've seen a lot of different shades of, of him. We've seen him be the absolute, character of a doofus up to you know having a, a semi-serious relationship with londo but i'd say overall comedy relief and, and this is the first time you really see veer as a what i would describe as a fully rounded character and and yeah i mean this is the first time that i feel like i've actually cared about him i just actually released a short from our interview with peter uh, talking about stephen first and just how much of a really good actor he was and as, as we continue to go in here we're seeing that he's getting more to do he's getting more scenery to chew and every time he does he does really well at it it's great jesse speaking of caring about people I feel like these people have about three more times to fuck with the Lynn before shit starts flying because it's, it's, it's heartbreaking watching. Like she's noticeably grieving her previous life where people respected her and, you know, held her to high regard. And now you have common people telling her that she's a freak. And it's, it's really kind of difficult to watch. It's she is not fitting in. And this is the second episode where we've heard her say, I don't have a place with either race. And it's, it sucks. I hate watching it. I don't know if I'd be scared to Lynn. I'd be scared of Lanier and his jujitsu hand moves because he's about one more Delenn comment away from ripping somebody's bone off. <laughs> little, I'm assuming Lanier just comes up and smacks you on the back of the head and you're out. Fatality. From the third fane of Or Zach. I mean, honestly, that had to hurt. Another Jeff Conway entry. Yeah, shout out to Zach for being a super sleuth. Didn't Keffer get Conway's agent? Because clearly he knows what the fuck's going on. (laughs) Blake, what do you got? So, and to kind of go into a bit more too, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the show being through a 2023 lens with regards to police shootings. But I think you can also look at it through that 2023 lens, looking at, you know, the reactions that we're seeing towards the lens transition from the Mimbari. I mean, look at what's going on right now with, I mean, how many states are putting forward legislation targeting the transgender community, drag queens, the LGBTQ community at large. I mean, you look through this 2023 lens at this, and and I know some people have commented that, you know, how dare we look at it a 90s show through a 2023 lens, but Folks, it happens. You know, it's it's how we do this. And when we watch the show, we think of things in our own mind and we make the connections. But, you know, looking at that reaction to Delenn's transition in the show, and especially if it would have been with the original scripted plan of Delenn transitioning male to female and looking at what's going on with these communities that are being targeted right now through various political actions and various 
you know, movements to restrict participation in sporting events, restrict, you know, drag shows and all of these other things that are going on. It's just kind of an interesting parallel that we're, we're looking at this now with marginalized communities in far too much of this country, um, let alone, you know, what we're seeing broader throughout various communities. Mm-hmm. Far be it for me to sound woke to people on our comment section, but I live in Missouri, not for much longer for many reasons, but it's Missouri is the forefront of this, Indiana, Florida, just really legislating who people are and who they can be and who they can love. And it's just so frustrating. And yes, 90 show pointed out to us and we're going to talk about it. Jesse. Seems problematic to me. Um, so, <laughs> I got so, yelled at for using the word problematic. I, there, there was a reason for that. So yeah. the, the issue with the people saying that we can't be looking at this show through a 2023 lens, um, maybe if it wasn't so relevant and it wasn't so still very in our faces, we would not. And, you know, as much as you want to ignore the things that are going on and act like they don't exist, um, that's only because you're not experiencing them. Um, it's just like racism. You can, you can all day long say that it doesn't happen, but it's because you're not experiencing it. And for those of you that still hate listening to us, this message is especially for you. Have a nice we know who you are. Most of them are because of me. It's fine. <laughs> well, now what Blake and I are talking to one specific person. We know oh, yeah. who you are, and we know you're still listening. Hi. <laughs> Anybody else have anything they want to add about the episode? On today's episode of the Woke Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can we uh, can we talk about Talia? Got a Keffer-like shout-out for 30 <laughs> seconds. Talia, you remember she- her? She still exists. I I just watched this episode like 30 seconds ago and I completely forgot about it. Yeah. Because Veer spilled a drink and grabbed a titty. That was the entirety of her (laughs) contribution to this show. Jeez. I mean, you're not wrong, but. (laughs) Okay. Can we talk about the discount on the Narn figurines? They would all think that was kind of. Wait, what? 20% 20% discount on the Narn figurine. Oh, wow. I'd have missed <laughs> that too. If For anything, real? they'd get more expensive Ooh. if they get rarer. Oh, like, is, that, oh is that an intentional slight here? <laughs> almost oh got injured into a spit take. <laughs> Did that actually, was that, I, I missed that in the episode. Was that actually there? 20% off. Well, they said 20% off oh. to officers uh, or to crew members. Uh, yeah, I don't remember them I specifying. discount on Narn figurines. You caught it and I didn't. Okay. Well, I, I mean, hold the footage. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> no, has it. I, I just believe you. I don't. <laughs> Since we're still talking about the memorabilia, all that memorabilia that was in that, that store was sold off at cost to crew members because crew members wanted gifts and... There wasn't much merchandising for Babylon 5. Although JMS did say that none of the stuff in there was actual merchandise, but those dolls happened. But they happened in 1997. So I'm pretty sure they took the design of those boxes, of those kind of Mego-looking dolls, and used that as a reference point when they finally put them out in 97. So they did come out. And I want that Babylon 5 model as well. That was cool. I want that. Apparently, Peter Jersik was offered one of the dolls, and he turned it down, and then the next day, he was like, wait, I'll take one of those. I'm like, sorry, they're already gone. So he never ended up getting an original. He had to write a memo to WB. 
Yeah, which I'm sure went went uh, was reviewed immediately and uh, granted, given his description of their uh, wonderfulness towards him. For those who watched our Todd Stashwick interview, I want to know how the hell Peter could only walk out with a god statue and Todd walked out with a suit of armor from 12 Monkeys. I just want to know how right. he did that. Well, I'm pretty sure he had to take out some security. Uh, and, and it wasn't even his Stashwick, suit of armor. No, him? no. Come on. And Blake, you don't know whose suit of armor it is yet, but once you watch the show, you'll know. Well, and didn't, I'm, didn't I'm almost Peter... at the end of season one. After we get called bad nerds, I went and started watching the show. Good man. Good man. I kind of don't want to watch it just so I can keep being a bad nerd. <laughs> yeah, you like being a bad nerd, no, Emily, you just don't want you? To be yelled at by Todd Ashwick. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. That, that is your new thing. It is. Wait, was, was Twelve Monkeys a TV show? Oh yes. my god! <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was just a movie with Bruce Willis. It was a movie with Bruce Willis that turned into a TV show, and it's good. You should watch oh, it. Oh, okay. Mike, well, what I was going to say, didn't didn't Peter also say that uh, Jerry O'Doyle basically pulled up with a U-Haul and just stole half of everything that they made? I wouldn't doubt it. Yes. No, knowing O'Doyle, I wouldn't doubt that at all. Let's go ahead and move into questions and predictions. For those of you who are new, our newbies have not watched past this episode, so they're going to ask any questions they have lingering after watching this episode and also give us any predictions they think are going to happen down the road. So we'll go to Jesse first. Question and predictions. So I asked my question earlier about the um, very beautiful, very creepy chanting thing that went downstairs and what relevance that has to his training and gosh, I just, that whole thing is strange to me and I can't wait to see how that plays out. My, my prediction, the tot size. John, questions, predictions. Okay. I have quite a few. Uh, let's start with the merchandising. So did JMS not want to merchandise the show because... It felt like a meta commentary on merchandising. I clearly everybody got the Spaceballs joke, but did he make any comments on the Usenets or anything? Like, because there is a bunch of Babylon Five merchandise. I know you don't want to search in the internet, but I have seen a bunch of it. In fact, yeah, I may, that, may not have gotten yeah. a bunch of it delivered to my house. <laughs> yeah, what it comes down to is, I think there was the way Babylon Five was put out. There wasn't much opportunity for merchandising because there wasn't much money. The budget was low. WB uh, didn't have a, a lot of faith in it. Uh, PTN, even if they had faith in it, was a studio or a, a network that couldn't do all that. So there was some merchandise that did start coming out later on in the series, specifically around third, fourth season, and then when it moved to TNT on fifth season. I don't think JMS was against it. I mean, he's personally against, as Blake pointed out, cute stuff, but I also think he likes a paycheck, and any kind of merchandising would have helped to improve his budget for his show, but there just wasn't much out there. I think the big things that are out there is there's keychains, there's micro-machines, there are action figures, obviously. There are Mego-like dolls, and there's a, a customizable trading game and a few other things as well, too. But he wasn't against that stuff because even during season one and season two, there were books, there were comics coming out, and he said all those were canon to the show to an extent. So I think it was just a matter of the, just the opportunities weren't there in the way of other shows would have it. No Playmates franchising for these guys. Okay. Like, did, do you know of anything else on that? No, that, that's pretty much what I was going to say, is it was just a matter of PTEN didn't have the infrastructure to support merchandising for the show. Because, I mean, it was a network really without a network. I mean, it was borrowed airtime on whoever they could get to give them time. And Warner Brothers just flat out didn't give a shit at that point. I 
you know, thank you. Right. Cause most of it was really season four. I think most of the merchandising happened at around the end of season four when it was TNT had picked it up. Mm-hmm. So I think they did a lot of the merchandising to try to spur interest as it went into TNT. Yeah. Most of the stuff that I've seen is copyright 1997 and we're currently in 1995 with this season. So just hasn't been made yet. I may or may not have all the micro machines now. I may or may not have all the action figures now. Must be nice to have uh, no kids (laughs) and an income. It's cute. Check it out. I may or may not have that Londo suit that you shared previously on its way to my house. I don't know. I'm just saying. Um, so you gonna? Are, will you or will you not show up on camera one of these days in another god awful suit? This time being Londo's. All I'll say is, come to our live shows and find out. Uh, <laughs> okay, so Sheridan's lawyer. I don't remember her saying. Was she from Earth for who sent her? She just said I got a call. Wasn't said. But it was. Oh no! Oh. I thought it was the Senate Oversight Babylon oh, Five Committee or me. something. I don't remember them saying. I thought she there said was... I got a call. And she said she was on her way to Earth, and when right. she got the call, there's some reference to a to a Senate committee. I thought, but maybe it was about that. Perhaps you'll talk about it beyond the rim when you tell us to fuck off. <laughs> Anyways, uh, okay, uh, this one is just you probably answered now. The lighting it seemed like it changed. There was a, this might be just a, an edit thing when before uh, the conversation he has with Old Natoth, the lighting the episode seemed brighter, and then they switched to their conversation in his office, and that just seemed really dark. Mm. Well, one thing for that, John, we've been dealing with this as we are doing our watch through on Star Trek Picard, especially with streaming platforms. Um, Paramount Plus has had a hell of a time with the picture quality and it's showing up darker for people than what it should. And they've actually had to go back after dropping some episodes and re-release them uh, with changes to uh, however they're streaming it, plus all of the individual device settings that people have and I think some of that is just the nature of streaming. So I'm thinking, especially even with these old shows, John, that could just be a technical glitch within, because you're, are you on Tubi or are you doing it on Apple TV or one of them? Uh, I got it, Voodoo. It's, it could be the stream. It could just be the Voodoo streaming service with it. Cause it what looked fine on mine. I never saw any lighting changes, um, but I've got the downloads off Apple TV. So it could just be the video service. It could be one of a hundred things. Cause like I said, especially with Picard, there's, Terry Metalis is out there like posting every week going, we're fixing it. We still don't know why Paramount Plus is doing this. And then they're coming out with updated versions, what, about 12 hours later? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we had this conversation with uh, Summer from the other podcast um, when we did our 30th. And she's like, well, on HBO Max, the uh, episodes were uh, widescreen. And no, no, that's your TV setting because they absolutely were not. I mean, this is, so everyone's TV is set up different too. It's, it's got to be insane having to deal with all of this stuff when you have a show come out unless you're game of thrones and you just don't know how to turn lights on in an episode and that's all <laughs> uh actually on on that point i feel like it's kind of interesting because i've been seeing a lot of people complaining about other shows since that fateful game of thrones finale having the whole everything's too dark and we can't tell what's going on mm-hmm. most recently i heard people were complaining about the what episode three of mandalorian and uh i watched it and didn't think there was any problem so right it's kind of like, you know it's it's much like working with computers and Mike and I for sure had to deal with this a lot when we had our retail gig but when everyone has one that means everyone has the opportunity to not know how to use the equipment and um, a lot of times you know I people are going to go into their settings on their TV and I'm not saying John this is you I'm just saying in general um, people mess with their settings and so there's absolutely no way 
for a filmmaker or uh, anybody like that, a production person to guarantee quality anymore. It's just impossible because there's just so many settings, so many different TVs, so many streaming services. It's it's just insane. That's a good point too. It's not even necessarily about settings. It's it's the difference between two different brands. Like yeah, you you think something's red. Samsung thinks something is red. You know, it, it's they're not mm-hmm. the same, and that's why yeah. they graphic artists go crazy and have to buy special calibration, color calibration devices, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that what they see on their screen is you know what actually goes to print. That Pantone yeah, actually, color is not the Pantone color I thought it was. What's going on? I, I actually bought the Pantone color book. So when I'm doing graphic stuff for the Elks or whoever, I have the actual Pantone color mix book yeah, because I got tired of, hey, this looks good. God damn, that's not the same color. <laughs> and let me tell you, in technology, for everything that you think is rigidly set to a standard, it's not. It's not. <laughs> the standard else, is no standard. This is true. Anything else, John? Oh yeah, quite a bit. Um, it was a lovely discussion about color settings. So Ivana's quote that she said back to Sheridan, uh, did Sinclair tell her that? Do we know who said that? Is she just making that up? Did she quote herself? What was that? I caught it as like she made it up and just hoped he wouldn't call her on it. And he called her on it. Like, oh, you're my mentor. So I want to give you some good frilly words to say. And he's like, I didn't say that. That's how I read it. Okay. Yeah. I- there was no greater significance to it then that's cool all right <laughs> i wondered too i was i was just it was one of those things i was like oh shit is that something sinclair said in like season one and i forgot and everyone else is gonna know it and be like yeah he said it in season one episode 14 idiot but okay sounds like no great i will say though i mean we've talked about this i think even last episode remember when we interviewed claudia she said that there was times there where ivana was basically pop- parking cars and cnc so i like the fact that they're giving her more to do and just like these little lines and these interactions they're letting her play more and they're letting her do sexual dances in some episodes so do what you want not surprised that came back up um okay so one moment of perfect beauty I mean, what did the, what the hell did that mean? Like to Jesse's point, like who were those people down below? And I know you gave us the lyrics to the chant, but what was that supposed to mean? What did he have clarity? Was it just like a meditation type thing? You just found his moment of Zen? What the hell was that? I did enjoy Sheridan giving us a little more detail about the pen and the colors. But my question is, he mentioned gold, red, green. Uh, Ivanova has two different colors and I don't know what that's about. So I don't know if that's a now question you can answer or a beyond the rim question you can answer. No, it's um, somebody remind me what her colors are. I can't picture it right now. It looked like gold and white. Is it gold? Is it gold and silver? It may be gold, be gold and silver. silver. Again, you know how those fucking lightings go. <laughs> no, but what it comes down to is some of them have dual roles on the station as well, too. So she's command staff, but she's also operations. And so I believe that's where the two tones come from. She's basically in charge of CNC, but she's also leadership staff. Okay. Um, so uh, back to kind of the questions about those beings. And again, I know we talk about plot, but like, wouldn't life forces be picked up by station scanners? So wouldn't they know that there was someone living there and couldn't they isolate what type of species they might be? Or is this just a, we have an underground, we just let that shit go. Yeah. I mean, you're assuming that they would care 
Um, I think yeah. we've seen. I think we've seen with down below that there's there, there's an assumed group of people that are stuck on B five, and so they don't have jobs, they don't have a way to get off the station, and so they get stuck. And I think that's the whole point of down below. So sure, I'm, I'm sure they know people are in there. Even Sheridan, when they were down there with uh, with when he was down there with Kosh, uh, Sheridan said if Garibaldi knew we were down here, he'd be upset because there's people down here that probably we shouldn't run into so they know there's people in there he just didn't know that what was in behind that crate or whatever just didn't okay. know they'd run into improv everywhere <laughs> <laughs> so again i repeat i asked earlier i don't perhaps it's not meaningful but veer mentioning the fire and the flood i thought there was symbolism behind the fire just, is there any symbolism behind the water the flood and then two things with the minbari so they show the like she's like low linear you should read this and you see a language did they actually develop a full mimbari language sure did i'm glad somebody brought it up let me tell you what that said because <laughs> so what happened was they made this mimbari language and then actually the mimbari text and this comes from lurker's guide the mimbari text to showed linear can be deciphered using the mimbari alphabet as rendered on the b5 trading cards replacing mimbari characters with corresponding latin ones yields the english text and here is the translation chester is very spoiled i guess it's my fault i loved him too much all right i don't know if i needed that you're welcome oddly enough doesn't seem as important as the gregorian chant translation but who knows we haven't met chester yet i guess i guess all right and then uh did they do they develop a, a specific minbari fighting style are we gonna see more of that? Are they going to explain that? Where was that shit in the movie tie? Okay, and then my very last question. Are we ever going to find out who this shady human guy was? Is he anybody or just a cool extra who got to do some shit on screen? Which shady human are we talking about? Help me out. The guy in the cloak. The guy who was giving, it looked like he was about to do a deal with um, fucked up Mimbari. Sean, what was his name? He was in the black like hood. I must have looked away and didn't see him. Oh, so Lanier goes... Yeah, when Lanier confronts him, he was... They were in down below. I know the guy you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. okay. Like clearly doesn't say, I think I got the answer to my question. Clearly doesn't seem fucking important since no one else even clocked him. So I don't really have a whole lot of predictions, except that I guess Keffer's going to show up every now and then. And I guess I'll just have to live with it. Okay. Emily, what do you got? Mostly questions, not really any predictions. Um, do we get to see more badass linear? I want to see more of that. That was I enjoyed that. Then a lot of questions about the down below scene with who are these creatures, beings in the orange singing a Gregorian chant and why is it a Gregorian chant? Like why? <laughs> and how did Kosh know about them? Like, does he hear them singing? Like, how did he know about them? Because they're obviously in a very hard to get to location. And then how does Veer's breakdown affect Wando's future decisions, if at all? Because, you know, Beard basically had a breakdown and yeah, Lando's like, hey, I'm going to do this to keep you on staff. But will seeing Veer struggle being in this bad situation actually encourage Lando to make less shitty decisions? That's all I got. No predictions? Nope. And through. Wait, so I know we've already established that the bear being thrown out of the airlock was JMS's middle finger to Peter David. However... Going off that as being possible foreshadowing, I have one prediction that is there will be other possibly more extreme setups to get Sheridan fired or killed. And then my one question is, what does Kosh want with Sheridan? With that, we'll go ahead and end our discussion for And There All Honor Lies. 
Haha, <laughs> get the double pun with the lies. <laughs> we'll be back next week with And Now for a Word, which is an interesting episode. I look forward to the conversation on that episode. Until then, you can find us again at all your social medias, and please make sure to like, subscribe, follow, click the notify button, any of the buttons that are in front of you right now, click them, except for the thumbs down one. Don't do that one. Do all the other ones. So until next week, I have been Scott, and with me has been... Mike. Jesse. John. Emily. Kevin. Andrew. And Mike. Us first ones will be back after the credits to talk about all these questions and predictions. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, final warning, we will be spoiling things, although there's not too much to spoil with these questions and predictions, but we will be spoiling some things. So if you have not watched past this episode, or if you prefer not to be spoiled at all, this is a time for you to leave. And if not, we'll go ahead and get going. So we had a couple different sections of questions here, folks. The first one was about Sheridan's training. So we'll get into that. And the question first off is, what is the relevance of Sheridan's training with Kosh? And along with that, what does Kosh want with Sheridan? I think the relevant Kosh is getting Sheridan ready to lead what's coming. Yeah. And the big question right now is knowing what actually does happen. Is Kosh at a place right now where he's preparing Sheridan to be the pawn that he needs to be to keep this thing going in perpetuity? Or is he preparing Sheridan to break everything and start something new? And I think at this point, Kosh isn't fully there yet. I think this is just Kosh doing the Vorlon thing to do a Vorlon thing. But what do you all think? I, I disagree with that. I think Kosh, I think with the references, because we've had the visions that Sheridan has had, um, we've had the references to being the hand, and even given the, you know, scripture references that have come up with even the chanting here, there's enough direction pointing in the way Kosh is being in here. I think Kosh is actually, maybe not overtly, but I think he's coming up with the plan that this needs to go different this time. This can't keep going with the cycle that it has been. It'd be interesting to see where we are on that. I mean, because I haven't watched the show in several years now, but I, I, I seem to remember where even Sheridan has to kind of push Kosh more. Like, if you want me to do this, you have to, you know, obviously take a bullet for him literally at the end of it. But um, it'll be interesting. So either of the other guys have something they want to add with that. I don't know one way or the other. I don't I don't feel like at this point I've seen enough of Kosh period to to mm-hmm. have an idea what his intent is. You start to get a lot more idea for it 
you know, by the end of this season. But at this point, it's it seems to be pretty murky. I even kind of struggle for what exactly this lesson was for, other than maybe just to give Sheridan a distraction at a at a tough time and um, some some inner peace, perhaps. But I I'm I'm struggling to find what what some of the things mean with the Vorlons. I think along with that, and I continue to point point this out every time we get Kosh now, but I think it's important is we do know that JMS is absolutely directing the voice acting for Kosh, and you heard it here in the hallway too. Uh, his voice is definitely not as aloof as it has been in the past, and definitely more personable with Sheridan when he's talking to him. At least I hear that. Well, I was going to say, he says more than two words at, yeah. in this one. This is the most we probably heard Kosh speak the entire season combined up until mm-hmm. now. So let's continue on that path uh, into Kevin's point of what the heck is actually going on with this. Who are the chanters and what is the moment of perfect beauty? And what is that all about? For mm-hmm. me, oh, go ahead. Somebody has some? No. no. I was laughing because I have nothing. I was well, and that's, I think that's joke about that's, it being improv everywhere when some flash mob. To me, that's the point. You're not supposed to be able to define what the moment of perfect beauty is. That's the whole point of it is it's just a moment of self-reflection. It's the ability to take everything away just for a moment and experience something. And we know that Sheridan has worked with in Tibet and his father was worked as a, as a diplomat. So he's had experiences with this before. He's talked about meeting the Dalai Lama and everything else. So that kind of goes along with that. But I think it's just him realizing that even in moments of high stress, Kevin, to your point, even in moments of high stress, you just need to take a moment to breathe and i think that's the only real point to this lesson at least for me i would agree with you that was the only thing i could discern from it as well it's kind of one of those like you know there are people out there who can look at a piece of art and like read layer after layer after layer i'm not that guy i'm just like oh it's pretty yeah I, i agree i'm not either i objectively think art is stupid You can send your comments about Mike. <laughs> Who sent? I can't believe it's not Natoth, the lawyer. We don't know. We don't care. I I recognize the name in the IMDb page, and to be honest with you, like I watched the whole episode, and I basically through process of elimination figured out who it was. Like the the prosthetic for Natoth is so heavy, I couldn't have picked her out of a lineup to save my life. So yeah, she's definitely got the same voice, but I I, I think we never get told who sent them. And I know, uh, Mike, I think it was you saying that you heard her say she was sent by somebody, but looking back at the lurkers guide, um, it agrees that she doesn't say, she just said she got a call. She showed up. Maybe it was general Haig. Could very well be, but I mean, she was very adamant too. Like, Hey, you're screwed, man. If this goes to trial, you're screwed. And she, she wasn't there to help him. She didn't find the solution. She's just like, Hey dude, I'm here to tell you that this plot's going to suck for you. That's it. That's what I got. Oh, and Zach Allen's going to look me up and down. Because <laughs> I was reading the Babylon Project page, and basically their summary says that the lawyer was assigned by Earth Dome, but no like specific over who. So I, I would assume military, like JAG lawyer type thing. Mm-hmm. Somebody's being accused of something, send somebody in, public yeah. defender. Speaking of reading into art when you probably don't need to read into art, what is the fire and the flood that V refers to? I'm in metaphor. Yeah, I'm mean, just like, <laughs> what's the rock and the hard place that we refer to? I mean, I don't know. It's the rock and a hard place. I, I, I get it. You, 
could feed your paranoia that that might have been specifically chosen for a reason, but I don't know what it is. Anger and sadness. I mean, he clearly has both of those going on, so it's all I can discern. The push of his family to make him something that's not worthless and the dealing with what Londo is doing. I don't know. Actually, anger and sadness makes pretty good sense kevin Mm -hmm. because you're talking fire is a pretty common metaphor for war and Mm -hmm. the flood would be the you know the sadness that follows and we know beer's future involvement in the underground space railroad going into mimbari fighting will we see more of the mimbari fighting style and will we get to see linear being more of a badass yes Yes, you will yes and yes I love the episode where he and marcus are going through the station when when uh, delenn gets kidnapped after they break from earth Mm-hmm. And you basically get Marcus and Lanier just tearing the place up. Yeah. And getting into that bar fight. The other one with Marcus, believe it or not, comes from Gray 17 is missing. Right. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. when uh, Marcus has to basically just be a wall in front of Nerun, there we get to see a lot of fighting in that one, too. Yeah. I also trained after so and so with the staff. Ha 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 ha. Well, he trained me too. Ha 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 ha. Much like I was talking about with Stephen first being able to open up and chew scenery, Bill Moomy is going to get to do a lot more too as we get forward. Mm-hmm. And both of those guys become series regulars more so than they are now. We're going to get a lot out of them. And my thoughts on linear will be discussed when we get to season five. But yeah. we get to see a lot of linear. And we'll get a lot less Keffer really soon. Well, that's in the predictions. We got one more question first. <laughs> so who is the shady figure that I must have looked at my phone when he popped up on screen? Because I don't remember a shady figure. It was, yeah, I remember it now. It was kind of in the hallway where the guy that witnessed it was talking to some somebody when Lanier approached him. And it, it's meaningless. There's nothing there. It's a nothing burger, you would say? Yeah. Okay, let's move into predictions. First off, Kevin, here you go. Keffer is going to show up every now and then. And then he won't be showing up anymore. Yes. They never did anything with him. You can tell why, because um, JMS didn't want him there in the first place. We've talked about this before, but the fact that he is pretty much meaningless to any plot other than maybe half an episode at one point and there's there's so many characters on this show he wasn't necessary yes i agree it was a good idea to have somebody who was not a member of the command staff be a pilot but i don't know that you had to put a put a a name and series regular to the person just doesn't make a lot of sense when they're already cast heavy so the fact that he got uh spaced at the end of the season was probably a good thing other than for the actor who I feel bad for, but I will say, yeah. I think it's interesting that John in particular, um, but that the newbies are picking up on, this is clearly not a candidate that, or a character that JMS liked. Yeah. You can kind of tell that this was a studio decision forced on him. I was looking to see when actually Keffer dies, which is the season finale. And I think yeah. that's the, I mean, that's the, that's the one reason why he's here now is as you both have mentioned, he was a studio note what the studio wanted was a cool young pilot, Top Gun like. JMS did not want a studio note, and so he's like, "Fine, I will put this guy in here, and he will do absolutely jack and shit. But I will make him a main character because that way I get to kill off a main character at the season finale, and it feels like it's important because he's a main character and he's on the credits and he's going to die." Yeah, I mean, That's he had. Half a job in the Lost in Hyperspace episode and half a job in Gropos, and that's about it. 
I mean, mm-hmm. he barely did anything else, including at the end of this episode, it was barely anything. It was what? Yeah, that, was, that was, he had a 13 uh, episode contract deal. And so they had to stick him in an episode because they're going to pay him anyway. So right. why not? Same reason why Talia is walking through the, uh, the Zoko. Yeah. She has a 13 co- episode contract and they're like, we're going to pay her anyway. So we might as well stick her in there. Yeah. Is this the, uh, the equivalent of, um, Three's company talking to Chrissy at the end of the episode for two seconds. <laughs> Could very well be. So the next prediction we have is Natoth dies. And I kind of alluded to the fact that Natoth, the secondary actor who took over, I guess not the secondary, that's a mean, the additional actor who took over after uh, uh, the first actor who had Natoth left was not really what they were looking for with her voice and her just her acting style. She was not Natoth, so she doesn't show up much. I think we'll see her, what, one more time as with this actor, correct? Yeah, perhaps. Mary Kay Adams is barely in the series. Pretty sure she shows up one more time as Natoth. Now, we will get reference to Natoth down the road, and she does not die. She actually is part of the reason why Jakar gets captured is he gets informed mm-hmm. that Natoth is in danger and he goes off and gets captured. So she will be a plot point, but um, that's really unfortunately as much as we're going to get with Natoth uh, moving forward, aside from a few references and a few appearances here and there, but nothing much. And Natoth, played by Caitlin Brown, will show up one more time in A Tragedy of Telepaths, and then Mary Kay Adams does not show up again. So we'll get one more Natoth sighting, and it will be Caitlin Brown. Really? Yeah, Tragedy of Telepaths, which is season five. Yeah, season five for sure. Mm -hmm. And the last prediction we have, this will not be the last time Sheridan is set up for either to lose command or be killed. I mean, there'll be various setups. I mean, if we want to be young, because, you know, there's going to be, we've got the next episode is a now for a word, but after they break from Earth, they let the... ISN crew back in to film another interview with them, which does not go well. Basically a setup to discredit Babylon 5. How many times are we going to let ISN come in? Right. It's like have the same thing happen. Yeah. Freaking Groundhog yeah. Day. Yeah. I think Sheridan the second time even says, well, we have to try. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't let him in. I mean, yeah. at least Buster is occasionally useful when you let him on the station. ISN's going to fuck you every time. Yeah. Tell, tell Tucker Carlson he can stay at home. We're absolutely going to have Sheridan have to deal with stuff as we go forward. I mean, he's the main character, but like I'm thinking interactions in real time, uh, which is an amazing episode, the sandwich episode, people remember, but also comes the Inquisitor with Dylan and him. Mm-hmm. But that's stuff where it really is because of what's happening, not because of a setup, I guess. Although, I mean, inter- interactions in real time, intersections in real time happens because Sheridan was set up because the... Uh, said his parents were in danger and he went to go help them and got captured and then had to watch a guy eat a sandwich. And it's one of the best hours of television ever. Yeah, and Earth does try to imprison him and take him out of command, but I wouldn't really call that a setup exactly. Yeah, so I think this is a one and done for this plot point for the most part. Anything else you guys want to talk about with They're All the Honor Lies? I thought him taking off his status bar was interesting foreshadowing i mean there is going to be a point where he's going to take off his uniform and mm-hmm. he's not going to put it back on again so he's got plenty of those in his uh quarters he's fine 
Right. Got plenty. Okay, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up for this episode again. If you are watching Tubi, we're going to go backwards in time a little bit, and we're going to be watching and now for a word next week. So come back next week, and we will discuss that with our newbies. And if you thought we were making allusions to 2023 with this episode, oh my God, wait until next week. Yeah. See you then. Until then, I'm Scott, and with me has been... Blake. Kevin. Mike. See you next week. Bye-bye. Welcome to Babylon 5, the last best hope for a quick buck. Ooh.